Well, it's a joy to be back with you at South Paris Baptist Church. Uh, it's only been, I think, about 16 years. And uh, I remember, I have great memories of the time here. And um, uh, one of the things I always remember is the beautiful church you had. But for some reason, I had the balcony over there. So don't ask me why. But anyway, I just remember uh, the time and the communication. And really, I want to uh, thank you so much for your uh, support your partnership with us. Uh, you help support the chaplains uh, up there on the Baltic Sea in Lithuania. And uh, just to give you a sketch, it's about 1% evangelical Christian. That means that 99% are not. So you are, and one of the chaplains over there said the only place he knows in Lithuania where people are really receptive to the gospel is in prison. Uh, so we do three things, evangelism, discipleship, and pastoral care uh, in the prison with our chaplains. So thank you for making that possible. I had a great time with uh, quite a few of you in the adult uh, Sunday school hour and just sharing with you what uh, the Lord was doing through a PowerPoint presentation. And then we'll be leaving right after the service going back home to Cape Cod, and we'll be trying to beat 250,000 people leaving the state of Maine, and then crossing over Sagamore Bridge uh, into Cape Cod. But uh, we'll look forward to greeting you and then to be on our way. Now, somebody said to me earlier, I said, uh, what time should I say amen? He said, you can preach as long as you want to preach. But we're leaving at 11 o'clock, so do whatever you want to do. No, they really didn't say that. I'm just kidding you. Just joking. Uh, but anyway, we want to get to this. And we got uh, uh, IT people back. I notice you use your teenagers for any technical help and support. Pardon? That's what I said. I'm going to use the pulpit mic because of our high-tech people back there controlling all these things. Thank you for letting me know. Okay. Got a little... Now, are we having PowerPoint in this message or not? We are. Okay. We are cooking with gas. Um, so let's just get right to the message, shall we? And I want uh, to speak to you on one of the most important subjects I think there is. And especially all this last week, uh, while we had a lot of older folks there, adults there, and they're wonderful people, I've been going up there, this was my 37th year in a row in uh, teaching at Living Waters, uh, but the thing that really drives me up there is the host of young people they have, teenagers, and I look at them with their whole life in front of them and think what a great joy uh, it is to challenge them. And one of the things I love to talk to young people about, but it's for all of us, I don't care if you're 80 years old or eight years old or 18, it's how to know the will of God, how to know uh, the will of God. The Bible teaches all things were created by Christ and for Christ. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now I think you would agree with me that all through the centuries, mankind 
has been seeking to know something about the meaning of life. What is the purpose of life? Uh, is there a purpose for, for my life? And they usually end up on a dead end road. And the reason because of that, they've never come to know the creator who created that individual for himself and for his glory. And that God himself tells us, I love this verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the war, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, I don't care again whether you're eight years old or 80. God has a plan and a future for you. We don't know how long that future is. I surely don't know. I know one thing. I'm getting toward the end of life. That I do know. I know the time remaining at the longest is short. And I'm looking at some of you out there, and I think you're 90 years old, so your time is even shorter. And some of you are younger, and you think you've got a long time coming. You don't know, because none of us knows what a day brings forth. That's just the way it is. But what I do want to know is what is God's plan for my life? He says, I'll tell you what that plan's going to include. It's going to include a, a future and a hope. And boy, I like that, don't you? I want a life that is lived with purpose and hope. I want you young people to hear me on one thing. I don't want you to become an old man like I am someday and look back and say, boy, I made a lot of regrets. I got a lot of regrets. I remember 56 years ago this coming Friday night, night before we were married, and I was at murals from uh, Prescal, and we were up there, and she had a godly aunt and uncle. They were raised in a Pentecostal church. Godly couple, though. And I can still hear that song in my mind as they're singing. She sat down on the piano, and she started playing, and they sang in harmony this beautiful song. It's an old Pentecostal gospel song, Wasted Years. And all it is, it's basically a personal testimony of an older a person a couple looking back over life and they look at it and they've come to know the Lord but there's a lot of wasted years they left behind don't have wasted years and now you look out at some of you young people and children you got your whole life in front of you and God's got a perfect plan for your life one of my favorite quotes is by Dr. George Truitt who was the former pastor at Dallas uh, in uh, uh, Dallas at First Baptist Church he served her from 1897 to 1944 before W.A. Criswell whom you might know better but he used to say this often to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge to do the will of God is the greatest achievement now, sometimes I wonder when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian, as a believer, sometimes I wonder if it isn't going to come right down to those two simple questions. Did you know my will and did you do my will? Greatest knowledge, greatest achievement. Because at that judgment seat of Christ, we're going to Turkey and Greece at the end of September and October, and we're going to go to Corinth. We're going to stand where I stood years ago, 40-some years ago, at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And back then I was 40 years old and standing there next to me was an 80-year-old man who was my, uh, my, uh, the former president of Washington Bible College. He had the white hair, I had the black hair then. And I remember thinking at the judgment seat, if I live to be 80, like Mr. Morales, I wonder if I'll be as faithful as he's been. 
wonder if I'll be the man of God he's been. I wanted to start right, but I, it was imperative that I end well, and so it is with us as well. The greatest knowledge, the will of God, the greatest achievement to do the will. I don't have a life first, but if I did, it would probably be Psalm 32.8. What a great promise. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way in which you should go. I will guide you with mine eye. That's Psalm 32.8. God promises us. He himself will instruct us by his Holy Spirit. He will guide us with his hand. And what a wonderful truth that is to navigate through life. So let me move on uh, here and just say uh, a couple things about God's will. And there's three things you'll see on the string, uh, and I'm just going to pass over them. God's sovereign will, God's moral will, God's personal. When we talk about his sovereign will, mark it down that everything happening in the world today, because according to God's plan, his sovereign will, and it's going to bring all come together someday and culminate and all the nations coming against Israel and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know who wins, don't we? Praise the Lord for that. His sovereign will. God is at work. He uses pagans. He uses unbelievers. He uses even sin. He uses even hell to glorify himself. That's his sovereign will. Then he's got a moral will. What's that mean? Certain things are always right. Certain things are always wrong. They're, we serve a moral God. And uh, then there's his personal will, and that's what we're talking about, what Jeremiah said, to give you a future and to give you a hope. So what I want to share with you are just a few simple principles. And what I did is I went in the Bible, and every time I saw this is God's will for you, that became a principle. So every principle has a verse that backs up that it's part of knowing the will of God. It's a principle of life that I want to follow. And I think the culmination is that at the end of it all, if I've taken all these verses related to me and the, the will of God, and I've applied them to my life the best I know how, then it comes down to the conclusion I know, and I, uh, I can say I know that I'm walking in uh, the will of God. First of all is the principle of salvation, and you might have known that I would uh, begin with this, because none of the other principles matter unless you have entered this principle. You cannot fulfill the other principles unless you first fulfill this principle. And I, I think of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, it's probably in the ESV up on the screen, but I memorized most of my verses in the old King James Version. I can read the ESV, and that's kind of what we use, but even as I'm reading it, I'm quoting it from the King James Version. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, what? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now that fits in the context of people scoffing and mocking the prophets of God, the apostles. They're saying, I thought you said he was coming back. Came the first time, he died, he suffered, he ascended to heaven, promised he would come back, he'd receive his son. I thought God was coming back, he hadn't come back yet. And so they scoffed and they mocked it. And you know when a person says that now 2,000 years later, I thought Jesus was coming back. He hadn't come back yet. So they're mocking. And why hasn't he come back? Because God's long-suffering. That's, that's the reason. And on his timetable, he is long-suffering and patient. He's forbearing in love. And he's reaching out by his spirit. It may be even to you this morning. Here in this 10 o'clock a.m. service, South Paris, July 10th, maybe this is the hour. Maybe this is the moment. You've heard it. 
You've heard it, you've heard it, but you've never crossed the line from death unto life. You don't have everlasting life. You're not assured that you will not face the judgment of God. And today's the day that you can bow your head and your heart in prayer and trust him as your savior. Let's move on to the second principle quickly here. Surrender. Let's say, okay, now I've trusted Christ, I've been born again, and uh, I've believed on the Lord as my personal savior, so I'm saved. Now, now, how can I know the will of God as a Christian? Second word is surrendered. And Romans 12, 1 and 2, many of us know that. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present what? Your bodies a living. Did you know God wants your body? Now, he wants your mind, he wants your heart, all that's uh, your soul. He wants your body. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, based on all the things I've said here about sin, salvation, sanctification, etc., and now I'm beseeching you, present your bodies. Young people, listen. God wants your body. He wants your body. He wants you to get up in the morning and from the top of your head all the way down to the uh, toes on your feet, he wants you to say, Lord, here's my body. Here's my eyes. Here's my ears. Here's my heart. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. Here's everything I am. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is only your reasonable service. You know what the Greek word is for reasonable? See if you can get an English word. You ready? The Greek word is logikos. Can you get an English word? It's logical, isn't it? Which is your logical thing to do. If God did this all for you because he loves you and he wants, has a plan for your life and he created you and he created you for himself, isn't it only a logical thing that you then would present all that you are? I often say it's like this. You say, Lord, here I am. Everything there is of me to have, it's totally yours. Now, Lord, whatever, whenever, wherever, I'm totally yours. That's what it means to surrender your and a once-for-all sacrifice. It doesn't mean we don't continue to surrender and yield day by day. It doesn't mean that. It means there's a time, just like when you were saved, you took a stake and you took a hammer and you drove it into the ground. You got it? And you look back and you say, on June 15th or July 10th, 2022, I drove a stake in the ground, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I passed from death to life, I was born again. Do you remember that day? Now, you drive a second stake in the ground. It's the stake of total surrender. And just like you were born again and you realize God did it all, you didn't do anything but trust Christ as your Savior. He paid it all. All to him we owe. Now you realize, hey, there's something more to this than just going to heaven and being saved. God has a claim on my life. Romans 6 was read. Romans 12, we just read. God has a stake. Do you not know? Don't you know who you are as a Christian? Don't you know to whom you belong as a Christian? Did you know in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says six times, know ye not, 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 know ye not. First three, he says, don't you know who you are as a Christian? Romans 6, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, into union with Christ, with believers. Don't you know who you are? Do you know Paul's favorite word for a Christian, a believer? 62 times he uses it. What is a believer, Paul? Paul says a believer is one who is in Christ. 62 times he says that, you're in Christ. Do you not know who you are? You're united to the living God, the living Christ. 
Then he says, do you not know to whom you belong? Three times. Your body, your mind, your soul. Do you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have of God? And you're going to take your body and you're going to use it for something that's not godly and holy? You don't do that. You don't belong. You, don't you know to whom you belong? Don't you know who you are? That's surrender. I remember back when I drove that stake in the ground, I heard an African preacher. Some of you remember, if you're older, you remember the 1960s and the 63 and 64 Simba uprising in the Congo. 18 UFM unevangelized fields of mission, missionaries were martyred, 18 of them. Some brutally martyred, tortured, including many more African believers. And one was Pastor Asani. His brother was also a pastor. He lost his life. Pastor Asani was tortured. He was burned. And he came over and he preached through an interpreter. And he appealed to, to young men and women in Bible College Seminary. He appealed to present your bodies. And uh, he said that's what he did. And that's the second time I drove a stake in the ground. I went forward twice in my life when I was saved and when I surrendered to the Lord. And you know what? Both times I drove a stake in the ground. And even though I haven't been all the time the man of God I should be or could be or would be, I do know this. I always came back to that stake in the ground. God always brought me back to it. Hey, don't you remember that decision you made? If you never made that decision, make it today. Thirdly, is spirit-filled. Ephesians says it this way, Therefore, do not be foolish. Don't be dumb. Don't be foolish. No one wants to be a fool. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. Don't get intoxicated. Don't get under the control of alcohol. Don't get under the control of drugs. Don't be drunk with something. But rather, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we could talk for hours on that, couldn't we? What is the filling of the Spirit? I think it's simply the control, the permeation of the Holy Spirit of God into every area of my life. So I'm no longer walking under the control of the flesh, of Satan, of the world. I am now walking under the control of the Spirit of God. For if you walk by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Mary Paul says, for, uh, for walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh is lasciviousness, adultery, fornication, long etc. Then he said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. You've got a choice. I've got a choice today. I can walk by the Spirit, I can walk by the flesh. It's my choice. Now, the wise person is going to want to do the will of God. And the will of God will always be to be filled with the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit and not to grieve the Spirit and, and not to quench the Spirit. And so I want to be a Spirit-filled Christian. Do you ever see a person that's under the control of wine or alcohol? I remember 62 years ago, I went in the Army. I went over to Germany after basic training in advanced infantry. It was right at the height of the Cold War with the Soviet Union. And I went out to eat at a, at a German guest house with a, with a uh, fellow soldier who's a few years older than I am. He had attained to the highest rank of the enlisted man in the army. Some of you veterans know what I'm talking about. It's the sergeant major. So he has the highest rank of an enlisted man. He had it several times. You know what happened? He, did, he went out and he'd get drunk and then he'd do something stupid. And when you do something stupid, then you get busted, what they call busted, and you lose your rank. He'd be busted all the way down private. You know what he did? Worked his way all the way back, Sergeant Major. I was out to eat with him one time. We were having a night. He was an American Native Indian. 
such a gracious, kind man, until he drank. And then, like that, and I mean just like that, he turned, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He became violent, cursing, abusive, and I realized I couldn't go out with that person anymore. He never knew what he was going to do. That's what it is to be under control. You do stuff you wouldn't normally do. How many young people haven't done that? Gone out, have a few drinks, a little snort, a little this, a little that, and before long you're doing stuff you would never have done it. You've never been under its control, right? Stay away from it. Be filled with the Spirit. Fourthly, sanctified. We're moving quickly. Now here's some great verses on sanctification. Now mark it down. Every time we talk about principle, we're giving you a verse that directly relates how to the will of God. That's what we're talking about, how to know the will of God. So what does Paul say to the Thessalonians? For, uh, verses 3 to 6. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God, what is your will for my life? I want you to be saved. That's why I haven't come back yet. I'm long-suffering. I want you to be surrendered or surrender to your body. I want you to not be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. I want you to be understanding what the will of the Lord is. Paul, what is my life? What, what, do you, what, what does God want with my life? How can I know the will of God? Here's the will of God, even your sanctification. Don't let that word scare you. Dwight Pentecost at Dallas Seminary used to say before he went to be with the Lord, he wrote a lot of theology books. He says, sanctification is the most scary word to most Christians. Don't be scared. Take it in its first form. Now, the, the word holiness, sanctification, saints, it all comes from the same Greek word, hagias. What's it mean in its first form? It means simply this. To sanctify means to separate. You got it? So anytime you see sanctification, think of sanct uh, separation. That's what it is. Now, in a, in a secular sense, I sanctified this shirt this morning. You say, well, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, I set it apart from my other shirts I have with me to wear it. You see it? I just set it apart. What does God want you to do? He wants you to be set apart. He wants you to be set apart in the sense the second you were saved, catch this, the second you were saved, you were sanctified in Christ. You were set apart in Christ. Did you know you were as perfect for heaven at that split second as you are today? Do you think I'm any more fit for heaven at the age of 80 than I was when I got saved after I got out of the army? Why? Because at that split second, there's a beautiful theological word. I hope you know it's imputation. To impute means to reckon from one account to another. There are three forms of imputation. Adam sinned a man. Man's sin was imputed to Christ. Christ died for the sins of the world. And then when we believe the grace, Christ, uh, the gospel, Christ's righteousness is what? Imputed to the believing sinner. What's that mean? At that split second, I'm as perfect as Christ is in the eyes of God. Can't get better than that, can you? Okay, now, you want to live a faithful life because there is the judgment seat of Christ, which has nothing to do with whether you're going to heaven or hell. That was settled at the cross. But it is an opportunity to receive rewards, to hear him say what? Well done, good, faithful servant. What's he going to judge you for as a Christian? From the time you're saved up to the time you go to be with the Lord, he's going to judge you for your words, your works, and your faithfulness. Simple as that. Everything you've done as a Christian since the time you were born again to go to be, And it has to do with my sanctification. So I was set apart. But now I want to be set apart in a practical sense. I want to live it out. And then soon I'll be set apart, sanctified in a perfect sense. So you got the past, the present, the future. You got the positional, you got the practical, and you got the perfect sanctification. Then we shall be like him, what? 
for we shall see him as he is. We'll be just like Christ in the sense of having a body like his and no longer having any kind of sin nature to struggle with. So he wants to be sanctified. Now let me say three things here very quickly from the text here. Young people especially listen up, would you? But every one of us, everyone. I remember one of the most godly men I have ever known, and if I mentioned his name, many of you would know who he is, and so I won't mention his name, because you might think differently of him, but I appreciate it. We are praying. Here's what he prayed. I'll never forget this prayer because of what fell out of my chair. He said, Lord, help me from being a dirty old man. Now, I thought that guy was about as close to walking with us. What he was saying was the sin nature never leaves us. Do you remember when you were 20 and 30 and thought, boy, I can't wait till I'm 40 when I'm an old man at the age of 42 and then I won't struggle with lust anymore or any kinds of sins like the temptations? Don't be a foolish person. Don't be stupid. As long as you've got the sin nature, you're going to struggle. There's going to be a struggle, a battle of sin. That's just the way it is. But there's a lot we can do to develop spiritual muscle and discipline as we move through life. Now, notice four phrases I want to point out for you, and I hope they're highlighted on the screen. Number one, abstain from sexual immorality. You want to be sanctified? Do you want to know what the will of God is? Abstain from sexual immorality. The word translated sexual immorality is the Greek word. See if you can get a similar word in English. Ready? Greek word. You're a Greek student today. The Greek word is pornea. Sure, you know exactly what it is. Pornography. He says, abstain yourself from pornea. Any, any kind of sexual immorality thought that is outside of God's bond of holy marriage between one woman for one man for a lifetime. Okay? That's my simplicity uh, explanation of it. Then notice he says, secondly, he says that each of you, that means no exceptions, whether you're 80, 18, 28, or 8 years old, no exceptions. God wants us to control, condition, and capture our body for his glory. Then he says, thirdly, not in passionate lust. Perhaps James helps us here. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire and then desire. Okay, I got a desire. I see something, I desire. Now the old flesh is at work. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is finished, what? Brings forth death. Did you know the wages of sin is always death? Now, when you think of death, always think of one word. And that word is separation. Death is always separation. Physical death, the body separated from the soul. So you got a funeral coming up or a burial, you're going to put the body in the ground. The soul's already departed. Separation, soul from the body. If a person's lost without Christ and you're listening today, spiritually you are dead. That means you're separated from God. The worst is if you die in that separated state of being under condemnation of death, you're eternally separated from God in a place called hell. That's death. Now, what he says this is that if you do this, it's going to bring forth separation. And my how it's broken many homes, many lives. Not in passion of lust. That no one, fourthly, should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. You don't take advantage of people. If you love things, you'll use people. If you love people, you use things. Got it? And you'll never use people. You'll never defraud a brother or sister. 
I thought of the story recently of back when I was an unregenerate man before I was saved. I was out of the army. I was Indiana, Indiana University. I went to a party, had a date. The alcohol was flowing. People were getting drunk. I took the young lady I was with. She was pretty well passed out in the car. She had drunk so much. I took her back to the place where she lived and made sure I got her in the door and made sure she was taken care of, she was safe, and then I left. Now keep in mind, I'm an unsaved man. I'm an unregenerate man. Typical soldier back in 60 to 62. Typical university student. She saw me at the student center at Indiana University the next day and she came to me and she says, could I talk to you for one minute? I said, sure. She took me aside. She looked at me and I'll never forget. All she said to me was this. Thank you for not taking advantage of me last night. That's all she said. I didn't know what to say. But I remember saying something like this. I said my father was the most honorable man I ever knew. He raised five boys. I'm the youngest. And he always taught us boys, you treat a young lady like you would want somebody to treat your mother or your sisters. I never forgot that. And that's what I told her. Now, I'm not a squeaky clean guy, especially in my unregenerate years. But there is something about you don't take advantage of a person. Sanctification. That's just about closing out. Point E, submissive. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to the emperor as supreme, because this is the will of God. Now look at this chart that comes up. And this will tell you that God has delegated his authority to certain institutions like the family, like the church, like government, uh, and your employee. So you have a, I, I don't like the ch word chain of command, but you have a chain of command. In the army, you better know the chain of command. You're not going to get off, off your post till you can say the chain of command from the private to the president of the United States, all right? So there is a, oh, I, an order. And in the home, you've got the parents and children. Hey, kids, don't give your parents a tough time. Don't give them a hard time. God has given them his authority to train you and disciple you and equip you. Church member, don't give your pastors and elders a hard time. God has delegated to them the authority to minister and supervise the local body of believers. That's why you, when you join a church, now get this, most people don't know, most Christians don't know this. If I came to you and said, what is the one reason you should join a local church? You know what most people say? Well, to fellowship, no, study the Bible, oh, I want to hear the word, no. One reason you join a local church, the one reason is you submit yourself to the authority of the Lordship of Christ through that delegated authority, which in many churches are called pastors, elders, deacons, whatever you call them, I could care less. But it's the spiritual overseers. And they will give an account for how they treated and ministered to you, the church member. And God's got this all set up, as you can see above you. Now let me just say this, and I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff there. The only time you can disobey 
the person in authority over you and still do the will of God, are you with me? Is if that person over you asks you to do something that is contrary to the word of God. So they told the apostles, whom Jesus said, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. They said, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Quit preaching the gospel. They said, we must obey God rather than man. They said, good, and they threw him in jail. So when you do that, be prepared to accept the consequences of your behavior. Don't disobey your parents and then live at home with your parents when you're out of university and then say, well, I'm going to run my own life and then get your paycheck and your rent from your parents. You follow me? Don't misuse and speak down about your boss at work and still get the paycheck. That's the ethic of an alley cat. Right? So if you can't live there any longer, then separate. Another sermon. Lastly, <laughs> suffering. Suffering. In 1 Peter, listen to what he says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. There it is. What should I expect part of my life? In the will of God, suffering. Now, suffering takes on a lot of things, doesn't it? Some of you probably suffer physically. You've got some ailments. Some of you suffer the pain of loss. A husband, a wife, you're a widow, a widower, a divorcee. Somebody walked out of you in marriage. So there are lots of different suffering that we, you know, some of us are going to suffer over in China for the faith in Christ. So we don't know what it means, but it means anytime you suffer and you say, I'm suffering, if you're doing it according to the will of God, that's well-pleasing to the Lord. Over 340 million Christians are enduring persecution today. That means one out of every eight believers in the world is hurting, suffering today for their faith in Christ. Let me summarize it all the best I can. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit thy way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. What am I saying there? All I'm saying is this. If I am saved and I have surrendered my life to God and I am filled with the Holy Spirit and I have sanctified myself unto God and I am submissive to those in authority over me and I am willing to suffer and I say, best I know I've applied all that, then do whatever you want. That's Psalm 37. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you what? The desires of your heart. So all along the way, God's going to put certain desires in your heart. Here's the mistake you don't want to make. I got one minute. Here's what you don't want to do. Young people, listen to me. You don't say, I think I'm going to go to the University of Maine in Orono. That's what I'm going to do. You don't do that. That's dumb. That's stupid. Okay? I'm going to marry Jane, no. I'm going to marry John, no. I'm going to work at Xerox, no. Lord, here's what you do. As a Christian that wants to do the will of God. Lord, where do you want me to go to school? Lord, who do you want me to marry? Lord, what do you want me to do with my life, my vocation? Do you see it? You see the difference? The one thing I'm telling you what I'm going to do, and you know what we do? We say, God, this is what I'm going to do. Now would you bless it? God says, you got it all backwards. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Got it? That's the order. Lord, what would you have me to do? Shall we pray?
If you're here today, you've never trusted Christ, now would be a great time. This would be a great time to bow your head and in your heart just pray something like this. Lord Jesus Christ, the best way I know how, I trust Christ as my Savior right now. I believe he died for me, rose again. I trust in him now. And then just think through the others, but especially that one of surrender. Lord, I know you have been born, but this morning I am surrendering. And then let the pastor know, let the elders know. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But you do what God puts in your heart to do right now, and you'll be glad 10,000 years from today. Thank you, Lord, for our time. Thank you for their attentiveness to the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.